following program will most definitely contain language and images of a frank or sensitive nature. Sensitive listeners should tune out now. Turn off your radio if you don't want to hear about the history of gangster rap as started in H-Town by Gangster Rick. Ricky Royal, rest in peace. No, literally, just forget it. We're in the safe harbor. We can do what we want. But you, if you're going to be hating, if you are easily offended, tune out now. Thank you. You're tuned in to 90.1 KPFT-FM in Houston. My name's Matt Sanzala. I'm the founder of this show. It started in May of 2002 with myself, my brother Zen. May he rest in peace. My brother JD, may he rest in peace. And uh, some of y'all who've been listening for some years know when you hear my voice, come on here. Somebody died. Yeah, and that's not a joke. We lost another huge pioneer a major pioneer, not just rap. I mean, not just Houston rap, but in rap music in general, a man who never really got his just due, but those who knew, knew those who know, know. I'm talking about Ricky Royal, gangster Rick, later known as Coco butter. One of the founding voices of gangster rap, to be honest with you, one of the hardest uh, lyricists, one of the best to ever do it not just from Houston. There was another Royal Flush uh, artist who came from Queens, I believe. We're not talking about him. But uh, Ricky Royal was originally from Atlantic City, New Jersey. His family moved into Houston. And uh, his history is so deep. The first record was called Uh-Oh, released on Rap-A-Lot Records, and the second one was 976 Dope, which came out on the Dallas-based label. I think it was, it was Dallas, yeah, Yo Records, and I feel like they're more famous or infamous maybe for 976 Dope because that was a raw record, which, uh-oh, was supposed to be the real raw deal. One of the first Rap-A-Lot releases, and I believe they cleaned that one up a bit in hopes of getting more radio play, and that didn't totally work out for the group. But I don't want to be the one to speak on it all that much as... I came into to the scene, honestly, with the Ghetto Boys. And when I say the Ghetto Boys, Scarface, Willie D, Bushwick Bill, and Reddy Red, I um, heard Gripping on Another Level before I heard Making Trouble. So personally, at the age I was and where I was coming from, I went backwards and then heard Death Four and heard Royal Flush and some of the other stuff, Jukebox, everybody, you know, the original Ghetto Boys, of course. So... Tonight, uh, we've got a couple people calling in, mainly Bun B and Big Mun of uh, Middle Fingers. These are two guys I always turn to to talk Houston rap history because they really know, they really care. And I know for sure that they loved and respected Ricky Royal more than a lot of people did. I mean, a lot of people did, but I know for sure that Ricky Royal meant a lot to uh, Bun and Mun. And we're about to have them on the phone in just a minute. I know Pimp C gave major praise to Gangster Rick. And uh, he's one of those artists. It's a lot of, like a lot of Houston artists, man. They're your favorite artists, favorite artists. They really hit the uh, soul of so many people who really care and really pay attention. And I just want to say rest in peace, uh, Gangster Rick, Ricky Royal. Long live Royal Flush. Long live H-Town and all the music coming from it. Thank you to everybody who's still carrying on in the tradition. 
and thank you to KPFT for still keeping it going. Um, so happy to see the damage control is still on the air, but even more importantly than that, that just KPFT as a whole is still on the air. I've been hearing some scary stories about the station. And really, I'm hoping that an angel or something can drop down. Someone's got to save this station to make it, keep it what it is, the community voice that is, the community voice that welcomes in so many voices and so many people. I've been told by my partners on Damage Control that they haven't received mail in over eight weeks. For some reason, no one at KPFT is picking up the mail. That's not okay. KPFT serves a very important community, and that's our community that live behind bars. We are a voice to people who, for sure, a voice to people who are living in, in behind the walls, who don't have an outlet, might not have internet, might not have any of these things that we have out here. Commercial radio does nothing for them. We are the voice. KPFT is very important to survive. Damage control is important to survive. I pray for this station and I pray that uh, shows like this can continue on because it's very important to uh, respect the legacy of these artists, these activists, this station, everyone who put their time, blood, sweat, and tears into it. So if you're listening to the show tonight, maybe think about that. What can I do for KBFT? How can I help bring this station uh, to the level that it's supposed to be? Because, man, it's important. Going to be right back here in just a moment. Get Bun B and Big Mun on the line, and we're going to give it up for the next hour or so to the man, Ricky Roy. Let's start out with just something off of, uh, uh-oh, one of the first releases on Rabbit Records. This is Damage Control. Pop spot. I'm talking. 
already. Well, started off a little something off that Uh Oh album, and we've got Bun B and Big Mun on the phone right now. Tonight, we are giving it up, of course, to uh, Ricky Royal, Royal Flush, incredible, not just pioneer, but innovator of rap music in general, and another one of the unsung heroes of Houston who, I mean, I've said it before and i said it again, we have a lot of people in Houston who are like your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. They've done so much, and they've, got, they've certainly got their fan base, but like I think his fan base was more the people who really, really knew. Bun, Mun, love for y'all to share uh, any memories you've got tonight. Uh, well, I'll go first. I mean, well, obviously, Mun, Mun's history goes a lot deeper than mine, uh, particularly. I just remember being a fan of the group. You know what I'm saying? Um, I was always a fan of hip hop from the first day I heard it, right? And so back then, back then, as a fan, all you did was want to find as much of it as you could. It's not like today where it's just, you know, tens of thousands of artists from all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, it was very limited output. And so you did everything you could to try to find new music every day, right? It's not like today where, you know, so many people are dropping singles and EPs and albums and mixtapes every day constantly, right? Music was kind of few and far between. So anybody that had any rap, you wanted to hear it, you wanted to listen to it, you didn't really differentiate from it. And I think the big difference for me was when I found out that people were like actually making rap music in in Texas. You know right. what I'm saying? So like from songs like Yellowhammer, uh, you know, groups like Nemesis in Dallas and, and then finding out about Rap Live Records and, and all the stuff that was coming out of Houston, you know, Raheem, the the first iteration of the Ghetto Boys, OG style, and of uh, of course Royal Flush. And I think um for me, like it was just amazing that people in Texas could actually make rap music. That's what made me kind of want to start considering the transition from fan to artist. You know, and so I eventually became an MC. Pimp and I started making music, and I moved to Houston um, once we started releasing music. And one of the people that I spent a lot of time with um, was Three Two, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And so Three Two is the person that introduced me to the org, right? To 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 Rick and Albie and Money and people like that, like on a personal basis. And so. I remember um, they, there was an apartment, and Mun, you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was an apartment, like, over by uh, Sharpstown Mall. Right by Sharpstown. Right. And so that's what 3-2 brought me through. And this was, I'm not sure if it was the actual day of the release. Um, and I, I don't even remember what the A-side was, but it was like, it was, um, it was Red Man. It was the Red Man single, but the, I can't even remember what the A side was. But the B side was How to Roll the Blunt. How to Roll the Blunt, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that was my first time actually hearing that record was in that apartment. And I don't think it like you know in the moment it really hit me exactly who I was around. Like three two had said that we gonna go by Rick, by Rick Spider and fuck with Rick, and I was like, who is Rick? Oh, Rick man, Rick the coldest, you know, mm-hmm. Rick the coldest ever, kind of a thing. And it took me a while to really realize that this was Gangster Rick mm-hmm. from Royal Flush. You know what I'm saying? And once I did realize that, I just kind of got quiet. But then at that time, right? it was more around 976 Dope, though, 
That was that was definitely after their second record. If that if you were listening to Red Man, I would assume, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so, um, and even then, like having conversations with Pimp about you know meeting Rick and Albie and and having proximity to the group. Um, you know, I don't. Many people probably don't know this, but I never made twenty was easily far and away Pimp's favorite record. Man, like in music in music period. Right, it was just such a a very clear record. Right, the only thing close to that, to me, in terms of storytelling and delivery and impact, is probably "Love's Gonna Get You" by BBP. That's the only song Man. that kind of comes into comparison, right? But it's a much more cutthroat version of of the, the world in which "Love's Gonna Get You" exists. In, right, if, if "Love's Gonna Get You" is PG. Uh, I never made twenty is in P seventeen. Mm. You, you know what I'm saying? And you know, just the, the, in, in, in creating the names and the story and everything, and starting from a very young age all the way up, like it was, it's literally perfection in storytelling. You know what I'm saying? And you know, no disrespect to Faith, who is consistently one of the best storytellers in hip hop. You know, this to me might be the best story rhyme ever written right it doesn't leave any loose ends any character it introduces you see that character from the point they're brought into the story to the point that they're brought out of the story right because several of the characters in the story die during the story and i i just really like i was like yo this dude is amazing and so once we were kind of let into this inner circle Right of creation, which which we come to know as the org, uh, short for the organization. Right, I can tell you personally that my lyrical ability, like if you listen to, like um, for example, uh, the first album from UGK, right, uh, Too Hard to Swallow. This is before knowing Rick, right? Super tight is after knowing Rick, so you can look at the lyrical ability from Too Hard to Swallow, which is very amateur, right, very surface level, to super tight where the intricacies really started to come into play. And even on 316, I shout out the or mm-hmm. right? And so the you know and, and 316 is really the precursor to murder. Right? 316 is when I really start trying to push myself lyrically, right? And the reason I'm pushing myself is because of the company that I'm keeping at that time, right? Once I get around these great writers, I'm like, okay, from this point on, you got to really be rapping. You can't just be making rap songs. Like, you got to really be rapping because the kind of shit that when, when I'm going to, and, and now at this point, we're going from the apartment by Sharptown to the house on the north side, man. And so mm-hmm. once we get to the house on the north side, man, and we're going from Royal Flush to Upfay Ouye, right? Mm which is a big jump lyrically, even for Rick, right? Because I feel like there's maybe constraints to sort of make the music at the time. And Munt, stop me if I'm wrong about this. This is just my estimation, right? Like the initial Royal Flush music is really about keeping in step with the rest of the output coming from Rap-A-Lot, right? Once this thing transitions from Royal Flush to Upstate Ouye, then all bets are off, right? There's no restraints, you know what I'm saying? And 
and we're just going for it lyrically. He's just going for it. And so anything that I say, like, cause, and keep in mind, when rappers come around each other, you always want to say rhymes around each other, freestyle, but then you also want to present songs, right? And so 316 is, to me, the first time where I feel I have a song and a verse worthy of bringing to the table because of how high the expectations were. Because Rick is the guy that kind of, you know, is telling me you're not, you're not operating at 100%. Like, you're good, right? And you're better than most people. But you're still not, you're not going as far as you could probably go. And so 316, my verse on there is me kind of pushing the pushing the envelope for myself lyrically. And once I play that record in this in, within this collective of people, and they're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, there's no turning back from that. All right, well, look, before we go any further, let's play... I never made 20 real quick and come back because what you just opened up a whole can of worms right there, because that era <laughs> of Houston and Mun and I were talking about this earlier. Like Rick is the, is the tip of the iceberg of, of the extreme talent that was happening in the city at that time. And, and Ukfe Uye is really one of the most unsung groups out of H town, man. One of the most, you know, strongest. I remember the anticipation for that. But let's get into this music real quick. Let's keep the people listening, engaged. Uh, you're listening to 90.1 KPFT in Houston, Texas, and we are celebrating one of Houston's finest right now, Gangster Rick, Ricky Royal. We'll be right back after this. I've been knowing y'all for a while. Y'all been through some rough shit. Yeah, and it ain't over. This is a horn. The description of the events contained in this story are true. It contains harsh reality and brutal honesty. The names have been changed to respect the deprived. Thanks. Blind to the fact that I couldn't act Or should I say be myself Cause I wasn't 12 I witnessed things that today some kids don't even touch Cause we couldn't eat if my mom didn't fuck some man from the corner And daddy tried to warn her, alarm her He would even harm her At night they would fight Cause times were so tight We scraped up rent but not enough of the lights But bust it At 11 I was selling dope for my daddy with my cousin Kevin I made 20 off every hundred yeah, I was funded, bold and brave Took my mom straight to her grave And she would tell me, Mookie, behave I tell her, chill out At 12, I was smoking my rope And make her get out One day behind her back I had sex with a friend's guy Mom found out her heart fell She died But did that stop me? Hell no At 15, I would fiend for uncut blow But at street 16, I had to stop getting high and re-up on supply 17 years old I'm finally in high school But I don't get teased Because they know I pack a tool Now my only purpose for being here Is to sell drugs You wanna be cool ass kids And these thugs Pops is coming home from jail next month Then we gonna make a move So we can kick back like Trump The reason he went up Is cause he had to kill a chump But not for the murder Because they caught him with his pump Grandma's upset Her health is real bad She begs me to be good But no, I'm still bad Hadifa is pregnant for me she is only 14 I'm kinda worried because the girls are fucking dope fiend I live large in my neighborhood Everybody respects Mook 
Suzuki. I got the biggest Suzuki. I shot the most niggas. I sell the most crack. I drive pops Cadillac to school and back. But see, my grandmother, she don't approve. She talks shit to me every day, but won't let me move. You see, it's only me and her. She's 61, and I'm her only grandson. Mook shot from Mooka Dean. Me and Saladin, Saladin is Kevin, my cousin. We're 19 now. Every month we move a dozen keys with these. We both got kids at the crib for shooting slugs. My baby is deformed because her mom was on drugs. After a while, Saladin started breaking. He fell in love with this dope man's bitch. A fly to make it, but homes run out fast. He bust the cap in his ass and Dean passed away. Hey, what can I say? The same old skit. I can't keep a person in my life for shit. So now it's that time for a big score. Man, fuck it, I ain't got Jack Bone to live for. I can't call Pops, his girl turned him away from me. And now they tootin' and shootin' up, the fucking dummy. Grab my knees and word up, I try convincing them. He know that she can dive, he don't give her insulin. Later for that shit, I called up my man Vic. Yo, I can need you to front me, I have a key quick. I rushed the streets and got him lit and had him all on my tip. But see, I never paid Vic, so he put out a hit. As if I didn't have enough shit in my face. The pipe is now my brain and it commands me to free base. This one cop is on my ass like a lobo. I gotta hit the clinic, cause I'm burned by some hoe. My birthday is tomorrow, I wanna throw a party. Yo, but I need Scotty in my body. And Vic is probably looking for me, fuck him, I'm going solo. Let me hit the restroom with these four bolos. Knock. Oh fuck, who is it? Vic smashed in and told me to shut up. He pulled out a gun. I tried the front. What up, troop? He told me to pray. He said it's time to die, move. Pop, pop, pop. Two in the head, one in the throat. And left me to die. He even took my G-Man coat. The end result of a greed for money. I never got to see my birthday and I never made 20. Yeah, it's the funk dropper, the punk stopper, the trunk popper, ready to break y'all off something proper. You know I'm a villain, so I drop. Fuck a block, I'm throwing a Glock on it. Daring niggas to drive by. I came to smoke the son of a bitch that went for his but didn't pull it. Fast enough and got blasted up with the bullet. I'm sniping, I got you in my soul, so what's the use of trying to bail? I'm ready to catch a case, but not for yell for a murder, man. 187 ways to rip your spine out. Anytime you want a test, say you never heard of pain. Wait till I pull my nine out, nifty up a clip in your chest. Cavity, habit, we been known for taking it to the sucker. Motherfuckers that was faking it, making it known. I got my chrome in my ride and I'm fried. Be a nigga worldwide from the west side, fool. Yeah, I'm serious. And this is one of 316. Yeah. The bastards, I'm serious. This was only one of 316. Straight up, I'm serious. That was only one of 316. But check this shit out. <laughs> it's DJ DMD. Back with that funk flowing lazy. Kinda crazy. Never letting niggas fade me. I'm a little fast on that trigger. Niggas, I get my blast on nightly. You don't wanna fight me. Take your ass on down the block. I keeps my shit cocked. So knock on wood, cause shit could get hot on this spot. Some niggas catching lead shots. Cause ain't no wiping off these red dots. 
Now try me if you think I won't bust Shots to your dumb, we'll leave your ass in the dust, nigga Cause ain't nobody dropping bigger hits I'm making track to bone, track to bone, track to make these niggas shit And I'm down with some for show niggas So tell me how you gon' diss me with a click full of old niggas You keep your ass in your motherfucking set or take a slug in your motherfucking chest, Reggie Mark ass nigga Yo punk bitch I'm serious And this was two of three sixteen Yo punks I'm serious This is two of three sixteen Punk ass niggas I'm serious This was two of three sixteen Sixteen number three Some motherfuckers think they can go with me But most of them niggas just some hoes to me I got a lot of niggas that's down with me But too many niggas like to clown with me They act like they know me but they really don't They ask me to come kick it but they know I won't I see they ass in PA they don't know me uh, I see they ass in Houston I'm they homie But nigga how it feel to be a hoe Getting your ass kicked at every motherfucking show Trying to be a gangster but nigga use the fool And trying to kick it with me like me and y'all cool But nigga let's You can deal with that chrome I should've popped your ass when you broke into my home But bitch niggas steal And G niggas mac And bust the ass niggas getting bullets in they back And that's a motherfucking fact You little motherfucker I'm serious that that was three of three sixteens For any niggas that wanna test Come up and stress these three motherfucking sixteens You can't fuck with it fool We dropped three of three sixteens And ain't a motherfucker tight like this We dropping three tight ass dick Yeah, I wanna send this out To all them niggas in the oil You know what I'm saying? They drop the motherfucking shit Like we drop that shit And to all them other motherfuckers On that other motherfucking side Talking all that other blows ass shit Y'all need to get back before I get some motherfucking shit on my toes I done done it before, ho, and I'd do it again UG motherfucking K94 Eat a dick, goddammit Niggas don't stop Alright, so I had to play 316 as well Whatever We're gonna get it We gotta, we gotta show the <laughs> progressions and such And uh, let the people hear this music Because you know, a lot of people listening Young people listening don't know They don't know everything You know, some, the ones who do, do The ones who don't, don't But What you, when you mentioned something like Ukve Uye to me, and I think about Born Twice, and I think about even Poetic Souls, I think about Bobby Fine, I think about that whole movement of, of folks who came down in the early 90s in Houston, that was a dynamic time. We've had a bunch of dynamic kind of eras in Houston, and a few of them have been documented, but that tonight I'd like to kind of document that a little bit through some of y'all's memories. Uh, Mun, you were telling me earlier how you met uh, Rick. Yeah, I, uh, I met Rick through Albie. Like, okay. I had a I had a friend, one of my best friends named Tony. He's from Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and he was Clark Kent's childhood friend. So when Clark was touring with Daniel, we went to go meet Clark. I didn't know who the hell Clark was. He just said he's going to meet his homeboy Clark. We walk in the hotel room with Clark Kent and Daniel Day. Man. I'm like, oh, snap. Albie, Albie happened to be there. 
And at the same time, uh, Lil Tay and Big Chief was there. So I met all these people at one time. Mm-hmm. So me, me and Clark and we all talk and having, you know, a good time. And then probably later on about me and Albert kept seeing each other, you know, probably throughout the month. And then later on, I met Rick. And we were just have, sparking up a conversation, you know what I'm saying? And he was just cool. This is a real cool dude. And he gave me the Royal Flush Uh-Oh tape because they were giving out promos that night in the parking lot of the Thunderdome on the north side. Thunderdome was the precursor to the rhinestone on the north side. Right. And just listening to this album, I was like, man, these dudes from here? This dude is on, this dude, this dude is on rap Because as far as rap was, if we only had the ghetto boys, you know what I'm saying? You only had right. the ghetto boys, and right. right at that time, it was assassins in the street. And I was like, damn, that's a day. It's just hard. Yeah. Assassins is just hard. And balls of my word was just hard. And then they backed up. It was like, hold on. They backed doing it with this, this, this group. This, oh my God, this was just crazy to me, you know, and hey man, Rick was just a, to be around, to watch him in the studio and to watch his writing process was, <laughs> it was just, it was unreal, man, because he could hear something, just, and he was, as good as a rapper he was, he was equally a great producer, man, mm-hmm. he was equally a great producer. And he could hear something, and he'll just, back then, he'll make, you know, how you do the pause tape, he'll do a little pause tape, and wait till he get to an eight-track tape, and and he'll have a whole song off a pause tape. Man. Well, I don't think 976 Dope didn't hurt having DJ Snake involved as well. I think both yeah, of them, that were, was but that the, was later. Yeah, that, well, yeah, that was later. That but like that first album, that first Royal Flesh Uncle album, yeah, Rick produced that. Man, they, Rick produced that. Him and Serge produced that album. But Rick produced the majority. I will say eighty five percent of that album. Okay, and he was he was playing those beats. He did those beats. Man, that was him on the that was him on the drum machine. That was him and Serge with the with the sound. They did all that. So that I mean he don't he don't get credit for production. No, he doesn't. Like the like the uh oh album. I mean not the uh oh album, but the nine seven six dope. Mm-hmm. All that is him. All that is him. That's him. That's hundred percent him yeah. on the production. Okay. That's a hundred percent him on the production. What Snake came through and did was we didn't have the Proper 808. Okay. And Snake had that Nemesis 808. Man. <laughs> and they and they was infusing that in that studio in Dallas. They was infusing that in that studio because the whole album was basically done pre-production. Okay. So all they had to do is just drop everything on on the reels and add what they had to add to it. And Snake was a wizard with that uh, with that 808 and that board on that board. 
Now, were you also brought in like a security for Royal Flush? Didn't you tour with them and, and, and everything? Exactly. Exactly. That's what I was brought in for at first. Wonder why. Uh, I was, yeah, I was, I was six nine still. Man, well, tell me, let's. I want to. I want y'all to talk about this a little more because thinking about like Ukfeuye and that sort of thing, that that movement that came after Royal Flush, that to me was like the ultimate Houston underground. Like Screw took over, the Screw sound took over right after that, and that was the ultimate Houston underground. Okay, fine, but right preceding. DJ Screw and and Screw was happening at that time. It was starting, but like before he blew up and all that stuff really took hold. There were some crazy groups coming out of the manger, coming out of all sides of Houston at that time. Can you tell me a little bit about that era? Because I know a lot of them were influenced by him and that early sort well, yeah, of aggressive, aggr- like that the early Houston sound was aggressive. It wasn't slowed down and, and relaxed. It was crazy. Yeah, so prior to like screwed up click, um, you already you had like the Rap a Lot Collective, obviously. Um, you had I would say South Park Coalition at that yeah, time. Of course. The very formidable collective. Um, you had Street Military at that time. You know what I'm saying? Um and um yeah, like you say, a lot of this stuff was very the original sound of Houston was very aggressive street music, right? The screwed up sound come, became what eventually personified the identity of Houston, but musically, it was all very, very street, edgy kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so it's no surprise that a lot of it eventually made its way to rap a lot records because the reality was there was nobody else that could really understand it. Right. And there's other groups that come out of that as well. People like Sex Fiend. Yeah. Um, Mun, what was Romani Malco's group? The Baytown guy. Uh, uh, you talking about Slaughter and, uh, and oh God. Yeah, Slaughter and the, Yeah, I know right. what you're talking about. But then you also had like Romeo Poet from those days, you know what I'm saying? Um, which might even predate some of the music that we're talking about from like Royal Plus, right? Um, but yeah, and and so the sound from from this Upgrade uh, Ouye was distinctly more street, more edgy, more intense, more aggressive, you know? Because that's kind of what Houston was at that time, you know? Um, you had, you. this was like a lot of the early beef between the north side and the south side. You know what I'm saying? Um, you had the you had the murder of NC, right? You had the murder of Smitty. You know what I'm saying? So like a, a very distinct murder of a north side street legend, a very distinct murder of a south side street legend. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the murder of Toast. You know what I'm saying? All of these things sent you know long-standing ramifications through the street, the, um, yeah. the binders, you know, all of this kind of stuff. I haven't said a lot of these names in a long time, you know, but I'm just really trying to, for people that's from that era, they, they would know what I'm talking about, you know? Um, and so that's kind of what the temperature was at the time. So there really wasn't, like the music from the Baytown Collective that we're talking about, I think that's the I'm Single, Are You Single? 
I, that might have been the, the 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 friendliest part of what was happening at the time, you know, because the streets were streets in Houston were very intense. This is crack era, you know what I'm saying. You also had this influx of Jamaicans as well as Colombians coming into the city, right? Right. So there's those those respective groups of people, and people so never talk very, about. Very, People never talk about the reggae influence. Like it wasn't a heavy, heavy influence musically, but there was a big reggae influence at that time too. Oh, I mean, the biggest Jamaica. club in Houston was was I mean for for probably a four year period, the biggest club in Houston was Jamaica, Jamaica, man, Jamaica, Jamaica. <laughs> right? That's off yeah. Richmond and Kirby, where I think now it's like a, I think it's like a furniture store or like a Ugh. back. You go there yeah, sun, Sunday right night there. Sunday night and then just go to work in the morning. Just walk just go from the yeah. club to work. And before we yeah. could make it Jamaica, it was Club Pyramid. Yeah. That was, right. That was and then on great. the north on, on the north side you had Inferno. You know, off of two ninety Antoine, I wanna say more. Am I right with that? You are definitely correct about that. It's right by the railroad track. You know what I'm saying? And and so all of this kind of formed the, you know, so the music that was being made was really a reflection of what was happening in the city at the time, you know? And so Ukfe Uye kind of fits right into that, right? And it's, and there's a bit of perspective. One is, is the setup from the Ukfe Uye project. The setup, okay, Ukfe Uye was two. It had the original group, which Rick Alby, be fine and cool Chris. And that was the, that the setup was on a five song EP done for Deaf America, Rick Rubin's new label. Okay. And when, and when, and when it didn't come, when it didn't, whatever, I don't know what happened with that situation. But then we kept the name, added more members, and got signed to Epic. So this is when, this is, um, can you speak to Twice? Can you talk about Boy Twice coming into, into the collective? Um, twice was, and Twice was the day one. He was there before me. Right. You know, they, they was there, I mean, Twice was there before me. I mean, they was in high school together. So, right. Twice was always, he was always a solo artist, but he was, he was always there. I mean, he was, it was just like the Royal Flesh Posse. He was there. He was a founding member. Right. And Born Twice actually lent himself to extending the, the reach of our movement out to like, specifically the West Coast. The West Coast specifically, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because that's how Ice-T ends up, um, within proximity of the org. You know, it's the first time I met Ice-T was through Born Twice. Man. You know, and, and so, yeah, so, I mean, this this thing extended nationwide. I mean, obviously, the Jersey the East Coast situation is already there because the guys, you know, Rick, and, and he's from, they're from. Rick's from Atlanta New, City New originally. I mean, yeah, I mean, keep yeah, it real, a lot of the original, a lot of you, a good few of the original Houston guys came, I mean, Ready Red, a lot of them came from Johnny C. Came from New Jersey, right? 
and came and came up in Houston. I mean, this is, and I hate to say, I mean, no disrespect to anybody, but uh, there were many artists coming to Houston and enjoying Houston and, and reaping the benefits of Houston and being influenced by Houston before Drake. There were way more before that. Like back in the day, like Houston has always been like that second home to a lot of people. Cause it's such, it was such a cool place to come. The, the, the community, it was crazy, but Houston was the place. Right. And Houston, people don't arrive in Houston to do rap. People arrive in Houston for other things and eventually become a part of the burgeoning hip hop scene. Yep. Right. So they, they're not coming here. You don't leave New Jersey to come to Houston to rap. Right. Yep. You leave New Jersey to come to Houston. It's either family or money. Right. But as the scene starts to grow and expand and the culture nationwide starts to grow and expand, it becomes a second home for a lot of these people. And it becomes their entry point into hip hop culture, mm-hmm. you know? And I think one of and, the you things, know, there's a lot of, okay. I'm sorry, not to, not to cut you off, but I'm saying at this time, a lot of attention is Houston is garnering a lot of attention from, record companies, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the UGK deal to Jive. You have the uh, even Johnny Quest signing with Tommy Boy back then. Um, I can't remember who Street Military's deal was. Wild Pitch. With. Wild Pitch. Wild Pitch, right, yeah. right. You know, very, very, you know, to have Houston artists signing to like a Wild Pitch and a Tommy Boy was just... That was crazy. was insane. You know what I'm saying? But it show, it's, it's showing the fact that all eyes are on Houston. And even though it doesn't really come full circle until the, you know, the early 2000s, like Houston from a very early point had been on the national radar and mm-hmm. people were noticing. And for one, you have to remember, for many years, Houston was the, sold more records than any other city in America. Hands down. Right? Like Houston has a distinction of buying more records and more Air Jordans than any other city in America. We don't really talk about that, right? Houston buys more Jordans than Chicago, always has. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So culturally, the impact is there. People see the, 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 the impact of the music as well as the marketplace. Right. And so everybody at some point decides, you know, it probably wouldn't hurt to have some kind of footprint here you know so when all of this is happening like you know the opportunities are wide open right for people you know well let's get into a couple more uh classic royal flush songs and uh i'm gonna definitely play uh the spook that step the spook that sat by the door that's the one ukve uye song you could still get out there but we're gonna find them tapes man i'm telling you i know between me cypher uh, DJ Styles, some of these these folks who really collect, collect, and and you know the ARP. Some of us out here who I've got boxes of so many unlabeled tapes. Like I'm literally in my my mother's house right now, going through some tapes from that era. That and and I broke my cassette deck. My cassette deck couldn't handle it anymore. It I got to get a new one. And uh, there's so many from back then. We're gonna find that that whole project for sure. But let's get into a little bit of music right now. We're going to come back and talk a bit more about history and uh, give it up real big to the man, the myth, the legend, Gangster Rick, Ricky Royal. This is some uh, Royal Flush right here. A lot of people don't realize the bullshit the artists have to go through. I don't think the artists realize the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
it goes like this An independent label of an upride Slash respect because of the small size Getting treated like a burger and small fries Missing connections cause they can't tell the tall lies It's really hell trying to go against the large majors They get direct numbers, you get the sky pages They walk away from you as if you just fought in They shake some hands, you gotta pay to get charted Payola's in the fit, don't let nobody lie to you You ain't the most requested pop child suckers, do you? Especially if it's a rap song with chunky rhymes A singer drops a record, watch him playing 20 times In the same day, just because it is a singer I know some jacks that I would love to give my middle finger And even mix masters have a way of discriminating If you ain't down with them, then they like to keep you waiting yeah. It seems to me you have to put them in your video Something to bring you, but to me it ain't a biggie, yo I gotta be straight up, do what I feel is real Like flavor, my vision ain't bright because I know the deal You know, one thing people don't talk about much about that era, I mean, even with UGK, y'all don't get credit for it because the street stuff and, and how hard and heavy it was, 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 it was so hard. But there was a very conscious edge to a lot of the stuff that was coming out of Houston at that time as well. And I think it was overshadowed by how raw and real it was, but... There was a lot of things being said, and I think Gangster Rick was, like you said, he was one of the people that made sure that happened. And I think it was the clarity, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I think that's the distinct trait when you talk about Rick Royal and his pen. It's the level of clarity, right? And the way he could break things down. That's why I talk about the setup. Whereas I Never Made 20 was probably Pimp's favorite song. Um, for me, the setup, like I remember sitting in this house and then playing this record, right? 
And as an artist, right, I guess maybe I have a different level of insight, but the the way that that, that song broke down this entire night of what happened, right? And, I mean, the setup is basically built around the show that goes awry, right? Um, and the point that, my, and Mun will know what I'm talking about. I hate to talk about a record that other people can't listen to and yeah, have reference points yeah. for, but the, the the whole thing about the sound man, like being a part of the song and being like an integral part of what, what's happening in the moment, that like, that really blew my mind. I, like, again, I hate to talk about something that people don't have a frame of reference for. But, I mean, this man operated at such a high level at all times in terms of his penmanship, right? That it was just, it was awe-inspiring because you would sit there and you'd be like, how can this dude think like this? How can he see like this, these things, these songs were in themselves many movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff that was being created. I mean, I don't know any other way to really say it, right? They were like many movies because you could see very clearly and very distinctly the scenario and the picture that he's painting, right? It's not a far fetched thing, right? Even when it's about the street stuff and the gangster shit, it's not from an exaggerated, hyper hyper-aggressive, hyper-sexualized type of thing. It's, it's all rooted in real-life scenario shit. You know? And I don't know if anyone has ever been able to equal that, right? Like, because I spent a lot of my time trying to be the best from here, right? But consciously always knowing, especially in my early days, that I got Scarface on my left, over my left shoulder, and Rick Royal over my right shoulder. Right. So this is the this is the level of output that I'm trying to aspire to. Right. And make no mistakes about it. There there is no we don't get to murder. Right. Without me going through and seeing the way these the kind of output and the, the level that these dudes are operating on. We don't even get there because I don't even aspire to that level of lyricism. Right. Because I am, I, you know, UGK, we have very impactful music, but. It was not a lot expected of me in the early days. It only was once I started expecting more from myself because I had people like Rick Roll and people like Scarface telling me how great of an MC I could be if I focused on that. And then I had the best support. And Pimp was always telling me I was the best, you know what I'm saying, at what I did. Pimp was always encouraging, right? But I'm talking about guys kind of pushing you in the right direction of this shit. And... I mean, when we get to the Death Jeff days, month, and the Boss days, right? And, you know, so one thing about Rick, Rick was also one of the best ever ghostwriters as well, right? So he wrote music for Death Jeff, and he wrote music for Boss, the female Boss, right? So Rick wrote Deeper, which is still, if you play Deeper today. Hard. Still one of the best written songs, right? I remember the day coming to hear that record being played for me, you know? And I'm just like, for one, it's such a well-written song. And then two, it's being performed by a female artist. Both of these things are blowing my mind because there had been no female executing music like this at the time, right? And the whole approach 
a boss in terms of presentation, right? Both visual as well as sonically was about the fact that she could go toe to toe with any man, yeah, right? You know, and a good writer on her own. Don't get me wrong. It's not like Rick made her who she was. She was already who she was, mm-hmm. right? When Deeper gets there. But Deeper helps to paint the picture even better. Because when he was writing that, man, he was weak. When he finished that song, I was like, man, you to get that song away. Is you crazy? Huh. Like, who are you giving it to? Female rapper, what, a girl? I'm like, but then he played the AMG song with her. And we was like, oh, she can rap for real. And we was like, oh, my God, yeah, 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 okay. I'm having a flashback to the and first that, time I saw her in concert in Houston, and it was in a, I can't remember the venue exactly, but it was, the stage was, like, surrounded by the crowd. It wasn't, it was three quarters surrounded by the crowd. It wasn't wasn't fully surrounded, but it was like the whole place was on top of each other, almost like watching boxing or something, in this little square stage, and she just came out and wrecked and got up on the corner of a, like the back corner of the stage so she could kind of be over the crowd and people could really see her. And, uh, oh, she had the do rag oh. and she had the, she had the, uh, the, the, the flannel. Oh. She was gangster oh. as hell. Remember Oasis bar? What was the club across the street from Oasis? Man. I can see it Oasis so vivid. Where? Oasis. Oasis on West Park and Gifton. West Park and Gifton. Oasis mm. is one parking lot, but across the street. Across West Park. Across West Park, behind the uh, stop and go, there was another club. Yeah. I know what you're talking uh, about. I can't. Was I can't. There was another club in that corner. Yes. I can't think of the name of it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Her, her face performed that night. Man, that's true. That is it. Her face performed that. Man, I, know I can see that. About. I can see that parking lot because the parking lot. Yeah, I, yeah, it was in the back, basically. Yeah, yeah, see, exactly. Yeah. I, 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 I can't. I can't. Uh. I can't remember that club name. It's crazy. Well, did show have did, cause show owned Oasis was show and Jimmy Olsen. Right. But across the street. I can't remember who that was. That's and I, I and I had such a personal relationship with Show and Jimmy, that's why I, the vision of Oasis is much more clear. Mm-hmm. But the Oasis was Oasis and nine point nine were like second homes. Because right. of the relationship I had with the owners, and even with Jamaica, Jamaica, because Paul and I eventually became very close. Jamaican Paul, you know. Um, but yeah, but I didn't have that relationship across the street. That's why it's probably not as prevalent in my memory as and everything they, else. But I know summer. exactly what you're talking about because yeah. West Park would just be off to fucking meat racks on the weekend. Exactly. Really. And the right. other one was open later. Am I wrong? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, the other club was open past two. Well, it didn't matter if it was open past two or not because no show back then started before two. Right. <laughs> Nobody got on stage. They served all the drinks they could. Sometimes the lights would be on, and then the show would start. That would drive me crazy, by the way, because I'd always get tricked by the radio. They'd be like, it's going down right now, and I'd be like, oh, damn, I got to get down there. I don't want to miss anything. I'd be there like alone at 10 o'clock <laughs> at every show. Then I learned my lesson after a while, but for many shows. I guess the, the consolation prize is that women got in pre before before like 10. Man. Well, at least you had that. They still didn't come. 
Yeah. Be, they'd come uh, at about 12 o'clock and then the, you'd stand there at two fifteen. They'd be like, all right, here's a 10 minute show, you know, but those were those days. I'm very happy that, that rap music has progressed into the live music genre and live music venue world for sure. Cause I do like to see a, a proper concert back then though. There was something to be said for how raw those events were and how raw those shows were. And to walk into a venue not knowing a group like Royal Flush or just seeing like a DJ like Def Jam Blaster, somebody like that who you you know you guys knew or whoever, you may have never seen him before. And you walked in and like the nights were just so incredible. It was such that, that was such an incredible era of innovation. The, the game, was, the game just, just changed, all, and it was just and it was wide open, right? So you could be in those days, you could be whoever you kind of wanted to be, right? You could approach it from whatever angle you wanted to approach it. You just had to be real with it, mm-hmm. right? So there was like gangster G shit, there was like pimp shit, Mac shit, you know. Like I always go back to sex scenes. Yeah. I went to school right, with Tiny. I, I actually back. went to, to to audio engineering school with Tiny. From the sex because the, the sex scene, sex scenes was like the sex scenes was kind of like, and for, for listeners, I guess to put it in perspective, is if the two live crew were gangsters kind yeah. of thing, right? And their shows might their shows might have been more raw, but two live crew had some extremely right. raw yeah, shows. It was, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, but Two Live Crew, here's the thing. Two Live Crew had a lot of naked butt shaking yep. and shit like that, right? Sex scene shows had women, like, literally opening their lips, like, on things, <laughs> like, that kind of shit. Yeah. Yes, were, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was flagrant. And But you know what, man? The group I'm talking about from Baytown, I remember they had a show at the Limelight, and they brought, like, strippers with them to the Limelight, and they almost tore that goddamn club up because it was, like, four girls on stage, like, and thongs and shit. And they almost tore the limelight up back then. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, Houston, Houston was its own, like, beast, right? Because it, it was, like, the best of both worlds. We had the best of both worlds. Like, we had the gangster street shit, but then we had, like, the pimping Mac shit, too. UGK kind of has both of that, right? We fit both of that, both of those dynamics, you know? But no, it was Houston was wide open, right? We were ready to see every representation that we possibly could. Everybody went to every show. Yeah, because you know think about saying? it, Bun, think about it. The first time I ever met you, I was with Will Strickland at the Palladium. We didn't hang out or whatever, but it was the first time I ever just met and said, oh, I met Bun from UGK. But if you think about like the Palladium, any gangster act you can think of came there too. But De La Soul was there. Tribe Called Quest was there. Shabba Ranks was there. Moni Love was there. Sheila E hosted a show there with like the College Boys and Redhead Kingpin. Like there was no College Boys. That's what we're talking about, man. College Boys. Okay. 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 I was going to say that when you said that. I was going to say yeah, it wasn't sure. Yeah, College that's Boys. What I'm talking about. Okay, you talking about College Boys? Romney yeah. Malco and Sweetie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was that was uh, there was. That that was right before things started getting separated and things like we love, like you said early, right in the beginning of the interview, Bunner, in, in our talk here, you were talking about how we searched out anything. I was using this example. People who know me know what I like. I've got a couple of kid and play tapes just because when I went to Soundways on South Main, 
that's the record that came out that week. I didn't know what it, I just put got it. I was like, okay, I gotta hear this. Right, I'm not a kid. I don't jam kid and play. That's, that's how you end up with a twin. That's how I end up with a twin hype album. Exactly because of shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> you just had to buy. It was like, okay, Monday, it's Monday, out. Monday night, Monday night, Monday night. Every couple of years, we talk about twin hype. Yes, we do. Man. Because I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people forget, and people listening to this probably will have no idea what I'm talking about. But the house era of hip hop, right? Like Man. house music, like Jungle Brothers, Girl Out House Shoe. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Do it, twin, twin hype. Do it to the crowd. That yeah. type of shit, you know. And then that goes to Go Go, right? Yeah. Kid yeah. and Play. You know what I'm saying? Bringing in Go Go. On a exactly. roll with kid and play and shit like that, right? And that comes from people riding over to DC. Guys are doing shows at Howard University and shit like that, and then they get introduced to go go culture because it was live and, and that whole thing. It was right? live, and you can say and it's time for the percolator. You know, Chicago house music, yeah, percolator days. You know? But people listening you know? to this right now, like young people listening, might not understand, but. There's people. They of, have no idea certain, what I'm talking about. But there's people of a certain age, Unless especially, from there. especially from like Third Ward though, in the TSU and that world, in the the hip house era and that sort of thing. That it was happening. There was there were people. There were people who we cared. Were it wasn't anything. a big thing. Yeah, everything. But everything here's the reality, right? Anything that Profile Records put out, we played. Didn't matter if it was traditional hip hop or it had house influence, we played it. Same thing with Wild Pitch. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with Tommy Boy. Mm-hmm. That's how like the brand new heavies and shit like that kind of permeates through the culture, mm-hmm. right? Strictly based on the label that it's on. Back then, that's where you you had labels that like there was always like the Def Jam, the priorities, right? And you kind of knew what you were getting from them. Mm-hmm. But then like with Tommy Boy and Profile, they kind of dabbled in in some of everything, right? Yep. So you would you and and. I mean, shit, I don't even, anyway, I don't know. I don't want to get too far away. We're getting getting off the subject, I suppose, a bit, but it it all does relate to what we're talking about with him because he was able to be who he was at that point in time when there was no one else like him. He he was him. He didn't come out to be someone else. He innovated a style. Yeah, he told, he told really in-depth stories. And when he just freestyled, man. <laughs> and the climate was open to it. I think that's I think that's what we're really leading to. The fact that at the time that Rick was really out here putting in these mass amounts of high level output is exactly the time in hip hop where everyone is open to that interpretation. Right? Mm-hmm. Because hip hop isn't um I wanna say the right word. I don't wanna say like like today in 2020, right? There's a there's an expected expectation of what an artist from New York will present. There's an expectation of what an artist from LA will present. There's an expectation of what an artist from the South will present. Back then, we weren't locked in like that, right? Yeah, no, so you, you could be know. from you could be from anywhere, right? Presenting your music in any form or fashion, and people would at least get the consideration, right? Right. And that was the beauty of it at the time. You know, so that was the beauty of of hip hop at that time was that we would just we just wanted to hear more of it, right? And we wanted to hear it. And after after we realized 
I had a, I had a conversation with Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, and he was like, um, he's like, I didn't realize, and I wasn't really in a position to acknowledge rap music as an art form until I learned to differentiate between good good rap music and bad rap music, because mm-hmm. that's what kind of determines if you're an art if you can find out the the spectrum, the full spectrum of it, right? Yep. Uh, who does it bad and who does it good? Then you have an idea of what the entire spectrum of that particular platform of art is. Right? And so after we get past the point of just wanting to hear all the rap, right? And then you get to certain records, right? Ooh, this that's actually trash. Right? Like once you find out about the Big Daddy Kane's and the Coogee Raps and guys like that who are really, really good at it, then you start listening to other shit. I don't want to call nobody out for being bad. Right. right. That's not what we're here for. And, and then you put a person like a Rick Warrell up against what's being put out there at that time. And you realize like, yo, this is some of the best rap music being created right now. And for me, the, the insane part was that unless you went to that house, you had no idea it even existed on mm. a certain level. It's true. I used like to some of the best rap music, the best rap music in the world at a certain point in time was being created in a house on the north side. Man, for real. And I, and I mean, I I would have put I would have put that run, mine that ninety three to ninety six run. I would have put I could put that up against anything being put out at that time. Yeah, it was, uh, and the people that really just fell through that house in the beginning, you know, like say it. <laughs> Molly Ma was in that house. Man, Bunny Kemp came to that house. Pips, uh, the convicts, you yeah, know, uh, the convicts. I mean, and and nobody Mike, left the same. Big Mike was around us, but I mean, when he was. Right before he was doing the solo album, I mean, it was just man. Man, the thing about it isn't just the fact of who came through; it's the fact that no one left the same when they came through there. Yeah, yeah. and this was no one was ever the same. This house was again. This, this was the house. This was basically the org. The this org. was the org headquarters. Got it. Got much. it. Exactly. Because all of us, we, we all stayed in the same crib, and um. Shell was coming down too, and it was it was just wake up in the morning, hey, take care of your business, and next thing you know, beat the plan. We clean it up. Mother gets freaked out. Oh damn, who did that be last night? Oh shit. Okay, I got something for it. Now Rick already got something for it. Okay, this what this what the song structure is. Okay, y'all write. Hey, you got a sixteen. You got write y'all verses. All right, cool. Let's see what it sounds like. Right. And so, and then this is the tilt. This house was referred to as the tilt. I think I, I want to say that, right? For people that know, this house was referred to as the tilt. So the manger, right? When you get to the manger and full house mm-hmm. and, which, you know, which becomes, uh, which the middle fingers is an offshoot of full house and all of that stuff. Rest in peace to peace. Um, the manger is really the south side version, the southwest version of, of the tilt on the of north the side. Of the tilt Man. on the north side. Man. Right? Because the guys in the group, we're actually hustling 
So we don't actually really have, even have the time to make it out to the north side, right, at a certain point. People, guys start getting older, people start having children, right? So rap kind of goes from being hobby, from like a hobby that you can give all your time to, right, to um, a career path that you still have to facilitate, right? So that's, so the major becomes a place where we can have the same feeling and the vibe that the tilt affords you but still be in a position to do whatever hustling you had to do, have your kids around you, all of that type of shit, right? Because it just became a lot for, for people to kind of go out all the way to, because this was deep north, right? This is like West Road, yeah, north side. Yeah. West End, like Veterans Memorial, yeah, north yeah. side. <laughs> so this is deep north, right? And it's, and for, you know, and a lot of the guys from the manger, right, probably with the exception of Munn, a lot of those guys are Southwest guys, right? Somewhere between Stafford and Spice Lane, right? And I would even argue that the earliest inception of the major was Spice Lane. Yeah, the earliest inception of the major is Spice Lane. That's 100% correct. You know what I'm saying? And so, but the, all, all we're trying to do is match, match the environment and the output, right? So the guys that are on the Southwest side at the manger, know that the dudes and on the north side at the till, how they're executing, right? They know what their level of output is. They know how hard they're going musically, lyrically over there. So we're trying to match that level of intensity, that level of output on the southwest side. And then look and at so the southwest side. I come side to Houston. Things. Yeah, I mean, well, I came to the manger for court. I had court. Right, I'm still living in PA at the time. I come to the major because I got court in the morning. Right, so I spend the night at the major. I come to, I'm like, yo, can I crash here? I gotta go to court in the morning. I didn't want to be trying to wake up in Port Arthur, driving all the way to Houston for court. So I go there and I literally never leave. <laughs> I wouldn't say it, but you said it. I'm just keeping it 100. I literally never leave. <laughs> Well, people say we kidnapped him and whatever. It, it is what it is. He's a deal. I don't leave that house until I get into like my first long term relationship, which ends up being my wife who I'm with right now. Man, because I'm in the major when I meet Queen. I actually heard that story. Um... And that that's kind of crazy to me because I was not ever in the manger, but I know all y'all, a lot of y'all. And, <laughs> and I'm like, and the major, Queen actually the went in that. I know major. how Queen is too. She was like, she went in that dirty ass place. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, she came. <laughs> she, she she came, but but she wasn't going to keep coming. So yeah. I had to kind of make a decision. Yeah. Right. Um, but the other thing about the manger is is that the manger is literally a two block walk away from Swap House Studio. Yep. Yes, it was. It was right around the corner. So, and I can talk about this now because it's all different, but we were basically, we were the weed trap, right? So, Ball and G would consistently be coming to the house or tell us to come down to the studio, right? But it's literally a two-block walk. Mm -hmm. And so we're there, like, I'm, I'm there when Twister lays his verse for Ball and G. Mm. Um, we're there for South Circle, that whole era. 
man. Right, like we're we're watching drama moves down here doing that. Right, yeah. This is when um that whole Chicago collective, you know, the do or die psychodrama, do or die, the snipers. Exactly, all of those guys start making their way to Houston. Man, you know, that's another whole podcast right there. To me, I think psychodrama might be one of the most underrated groups of all time. They just dropped a new single Friday. Huh. Just dropped a new single Friday. But all that. of this is to say is that is that you know we are in the proximity of someone putting out the highest quality of lyricism at a time where the culture and everything starts to catch up and people right. start being in a position to really people like yo I want to listen to Houston rap music because it offers me a specific view. Mm-hmm. I want to listen to Chicago shy bang and shit because it offers me a specific view. Right, and it and being in the company of somebody who has such an intense work ethic and such a high level of output, kind of prepares us for being in the proximity of all of these different MCs, right? And being able to go toe to toe with these dudes, right? And feeling comfortable in our skin around other people because we're still fairly young and somewhat impressionable, right? So particularly the middle fingers, right? But there was a level of confidence that Rick would exude, right? Not just as an artist, just as a man in general, right? There was this very strong sense of confidence that he would exude. And it that in itself, right? If we didn't get anything else out of it, that confidence, right? That overt a confidence in your craft, in your art form, and wanting to meet other rappers so you could rap against them and show them you could hold your own. All of that comes, and I don't think anybody around at that time will dispute that. All of that comes from Rick. Because Rick's not just a good rapper. Rick is very cognizant of how good he is. Exactly. Like, that's the other thing, right? He's not just really good. He knows he's really good. Rick was never trying to outright you. He was trying to outright his last rap. He, was trying to he didn't, he didn't feel that. he didn't feel as if he had any competition outside of himself. <sighs> and he was he was right. Man, that's real. Let's get into a couple more songs. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to play deeper and we're going to play a little more uh Royal Flush and then I want to talk a little bit more about his later days getting into radio and things like that when we come back. And uh, we can wrap things up here on uh, the Damage Control Program, the Pusher Manias podcast uh, show. It's going to be available on all sorts of platforms. And uh, everyone out there listening on 90.1 KPFT, everyone behind them walls, everybody on lock. Um, I hope y'all appreciate this history, appreciate these stories, appreciate how much Houston has given to uh, this music. And uh, understand, Ricky Royal, man. One of the real pioneers. Watch out, watch out. You see a time boss come, man. She just come down. Dang, dang, Yo, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm going deep. I don't really want to feel like I'm in a daze. So I smoke big kill just to deal with the ills. Life is fucked up trip. My skills ain't paying bills and it's fucking with me and my grip. I drink that same eye shit and smoke a ticket at the same time. Drop a wicked bomb on my naughty I'm living foul like a nigga, rock a bitch. I'm not the woman to sleep, but I'm lost. 
Say what up, pop? He want a piece of my beat. 
pop dunk up. I support the fruit of I. So, Lord and Master, fuck Bob Obi Walker. You can't brave a cuddle, neither can suffer go. Somebody had the nerve to go call the cops. So, what? Cause I glazed the donuts. But never ate Josie's pussy, not this cat. Swan ain't on my mind, but I'm paying big snaps. So, I can snap me ahead if I want. The boys in blue are taking care of my front. A rookie on task was warm me, but <laughs> he's so corny. He didn't know who I was. So, he got an early grave from his fellow fuzz. I'm in effect with a fat knot to keep me protected. So, go ahead and call the cops. I set up my operation, he makes my street safe for me to flood him with whatever I want Cause like me, he's a true Jew, Italian, black, Anglo-Sac, Chinese He taxes all my family fees, cause he got needs of his own Fuck that pension when he don't know if he's coming home He's got the biggest posse of all time He controls all of organized crime His life's a big crack game In the center of a crack game with a bullet on every corner He wants a piece of the pie I got And of course I'ma give it to him, why not? If the eagle intends to swoop The lawless member in my whole damn troop The lieutenant's been in it for 10 Years of service and I've never been in Any situation he couldn't get me out or stop So as long as I'm playing him, call a cop His job is to uphold, protect him, sir And he will do so if you cross me, no Cause he got an itch and trigger hand To combat that, the best hit man The best protection when the ride gets rough If I wasn't smarter than him, I'd trust my life But I sleep with one eye open, hops Cause when the man wants me dead, he calls the Motherfucker, you ready to die? Is you all you motherfuckers ready to die in this motherfucker? Roll call. Yeah, I'm ready to Ricardo. die for my motherfucking Sergio. hood. Nigga, Al street gangster mask. Kicking this shit off, nigga. Three. Fuck face. Four hawks. Nigga, don't call. Roll nigga. twice. Angels of death. Nigga, get your Fuck black family. ass out Big of this motherfucker. Willie Dick. Get crazy. Get stacked. How you gonna step to the middle finger? I do the things that I wanna do. 60% of me is you. Cha-cha, me don't know why they see just them so one beef. Me wonder if they're my tweaking. Them are lying, them are cunning, them are planning, them are front cause them won't cause me dealing. Me and them trying to buy me like them are done and they're cooking in your blood, them are stealing. Why if it is the rootless cause it's just like this mess, I won't lead me to killing. So take the car, take the money, take the money and thing. But I go take your life for disrespect. Coming from a bunch of crips, but I heard the truth is now bullshit. You know why I ain't dead? Why? 
See when you sleep on the floor, you can't fall out the bed. I play it safe and keep my ear to the street. Tonight I walk the beat, cause I'm only lethal with my feet. I'm looking for the chain of command and the sergeant, cause internal affairs are trying to bring me up on charges. The QA is stating I was at the scene at the time, plus seen at the crime. That's bullshit, cause I don't slip. I'm good to the last drop. Freedom got an AK, and now freedom got a cop that took a ride to the other side. Put up on the wire, open the second and nine, so I pass him the four five. So, what I remember is, I know for sure uh, Rick Royal became Cocoa Butter on the radio on K one hundred four in in uh, Dallas, and he also was on. He was on with Tavis Smiley, right? Uh, not Tavis Smiley. Okay. He was uh, Doug Banks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Doug Banks. Doug Banks. But but he also recorded under Cocoa Butter too. Okay. So That's Cocoa true. Butter wasn't just Cocoa Butter wasn't just the radio personality, right? Mm-hmm. Coco Butter, Coco Butter is the second coming, is the evolution. That's right. Of that's Rick Because right. on the on the Upset Uye Epic Project, he had a song called Coco Butter. Okay. And it Coco Butter. Butter. It was a solo song. So when they moved to Dallas to do the radio, he could be. They wouldn't let him be Gangster Rick as a radio personality. Of course. Who's not going to fly on the? With them, so but boss, just, boss became a radio personality too. Exactly, they both went up to Dallas to do the radio. Yep. But boss could keep boss. That wasn't a bad thing. But gangster Rick, they wouldn't let that right. fly. So he he just okay. I got a song called Coco, but I just be known as Coco Butter. I'm telling. I you. have a theory about Coco Butter too, Mike. I have hear. a theory about Coco Butter. Let's hear. Oh, yeah. Coco Butter. Coco Butter is Rick. Coming to terms with the fact that how can I, I want to say this right? Cocoa butter is when Rick stops taking who he is within the culture seriously, right? It's it's the first time where he allows himself to really have fun and be very loose within the culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because a big part of it was about how adamant he was as to how good an MC 
right? And so there's this constant notion of proving that and executing in that way, right? In a way that nobody can fuck with me. And I feel like Coco Bud is is the realization of, well, you've done it. You've done it amongst the greats. Um, and you're right. No one can fuck with you. So, and you've already put together a body of work that you can look back on and be like, nobody has really operated in that space, right? Nobody has put this level of output at such a high level of performance together. So fuck it. I'm just, and really, and no one appreciates it. Right? Well, one, that, that's well, my thing. Like no one really appreciates it. Right? Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I'm, I'm screaming at the rafters, right? To an empty room. Man. Because rap has kind of gone beyond proving how good a rapper you are to proving how good of a song you can make. Right? Because those two things can be mutually exclusive. Right? Like you could be a, a, a grade A lyricist and not really know how to make a good song. You could also be a person that's really good at making songs, but really ain't saying shit. Right? And so, and keep in mind, in these early days of hip-hop, we weren't on the radio at the in, the in the levels that we are now. We would have that mix, right? We would have, like, on the weekends, they would designate certain hours on Friday nights and Saturday nights or TSU or, you know, uh, Rice University or those outlets or, or, you know, were playing rap music, right? Devoting whole shows to rap music. Now we move into the era of radio fully accepting rap as a legitimate art form, right? And making time for rap music to be played. And there's a level of appreciation for rap music by the masses, right? So we can't just wait till Friday night to play rap music because people listening to the radio during the week want to hear rap music too, right? And so now the rap music that gets the most play on the radio is the music that has the easiest entry point for people, right? So it becomes less and less about the lyrics and more and more about the music and the lyrics really not getting in the way of the party. Like you hear people say all the time, I ain't got time to be using no dictionary to listen to a song in the club, right? That kind of shit, right? You know what I'm saying? And so instead of using rep, pop culture references and talking about shit that kind of separates you from everybody else. Now you've got to create music that brings everybody together. And so there's really no more of, no longer an appreciation for people who, who are trying to show their lyrical dexterity and ability, right? We want the party, we want the party shit. Now UGK survives this transition and no, keep in mind, there's always the back, what we, what we like to designate as the backpack crowd, right? Who always has that appreciation for music being performed at a high level, right? But you don't have to be the best rapper to have the most popular music at that time, right? And wow. in certain, in certain, in certain rooms, it could be, uh, could be an underappreciated effort. Because if that was the case, then people like K. If that wasn't the case, then people like K. Reno would have been able to get the the mainstream notoriety that they deserve, 
right? I think that's for sure true, and I remember those days. I remember Patrick Moxie, who was the manager of Gangstar, telling me, Nobody wants to see Gangstar in Houston. And I'm like, man, DJ Premier's from Houston. People want, there are some people who want to hear it, but they would always just, you know, there was this overwhelming sort of look at rap music is like on one side, there's the like sort of intellectual side. The people want to hear these lyrics. The other side are the partiers and the partiers, the ones that are going to make us the money. Then you look at years later, who still exists and is still performing or still DJing or still still rocking in this there's not a lot of the pop guys who are really really still moving like that it's the you know the legends and 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 when i say that i mean i think about people touring europe and japan and places like that it's like they're not calling for the pop guys they want cool g rap they want bun b you know k reno's been places that certain rappers have never been you know and I think that's a that's something that's incredible to see. And I also like to say that in 2020, <clears throat> I kind of gave up. I fully admit I gave up on what people call rap music over the past few years to an extent because I couldn't handle the heartbreak of hearing how bad some of the stuff got, to be very honest with you. And I don't really care to say it. I can say that. Um, but things are coming back. There are still incredible arts and things are happening. There's things yeah, this year happening to, right now. You still have to search, and it's just like what we did then, but it, but now it's an even bigger search and less. And what I'd like to say, um, we're talking about a man who was an innovator and who has passed away, and may he rest in peace and rest in power forever. But you know, Bun, and I, I think you'll back me up on this, an artist who I think right now we need to give some flowers to and to big up more as an extreme talent, as an innovator, as someone who's taken rap music in different directions and on an incredible level, straight up from Houston. I think fat Tony does not get the credit he deserves. And I can compare him to some of the legends we've talked about throughout this interview, as far as like someone who didn't, he's, he doesn't take anybody's uh, style. He doesn't take any, he's, he is fat Tony. From Houston. I think the first thing we can say about Fat Tony is that lyrically, Fat Tony is on par with anybody. Anybody. Here, right? And, and performance-wise, he's above. Performance-wise, live performance-wise, he's above a lot of people. But I think, I think there's a concerted effort by Fat Tony to not present himself in a typical fashion. Right? Because he does not want to just kind of fall into right. the collective because he'll get lost in the collective, right? Fat Tony can make any of the music that anybody else is making, but then he gets grouped into that. And right. I think there's a concerted effort from Fat Tony to 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 be an individual, right? Exactly. In the purest sense, right? And it's like, yeah, I could do that but I don't want to do that because then they'll 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 put me in the group with y'all. I could do this, but I don't want to do this because then I'll be grouped in with them. If I do what I'm doing and I stay true to what I'm doing, right? Then I will only be I then I'm only me. So whenever you speak of me, you can't put you can't group me with other people. You have to speak specifically about me. Man, but Bun, right. Bun, think about it. That is what everyone in the beginnings of rap that was the that was the attitude. 
You weren't trying. You could not be like someone else. You could be in no, going no, to the pop round, but you, as an MC, you had to be you. Yeah, I knew. I mean, if, if you did anything that was even remotely representative or reflective of what somebody else was doing, you were a biter, mm-hmm. right? And the only term that exists today that's as detrimental as being labeled a biter in the early days of rap is maybe a hater. Mm. Right? But I don't even know. But haters, haters is a term that's, that exists outside of, of hip-hop culture. Right. Biter was specific to hip-hop. Exactly. Right? And biter basically, someone to call you a biter basically meant you had no originality. Yep. You did not have your own specific worldview. You did not have your own style of speak, dress, performance, lyricism, none of that. So you had to imitate what other people were doing. Right. Right. So even if you weren't biting rhymes, you might have been biting flows. You might have been biting styles, appearances, all of that shit, dance moves, any of that shit. And that's what separated the real from the fake. And that's what I think really, for me, that brought me into hip hop in general. But then when I came to Houston and saw what was going on there, it made me just explode in it. Like, just, oh my God, this is, this is H-Town, man. This is real. This is what's happening right now and right here. And you, Mun, Face, Willie D, Bushwick, Ricky Royal, all those people, they all were very much so. You can't really, none of y'all, you can't bite any of y'all really. There's people who could bite a Bun B sort of, but you can't be Bun B. You can't be Scarface. You for sure can't be Bushwick. You know what I mean? Like we had such a unique community back then. And it was because of innovators like the people who really, K Reno, Rick Royal, Street Military. Trinity Garden Cartel. None of those artists were anything like each other. There were similarities, but everyone was so unique, and it was all hip-hop, and it was all coming from Houston, and that was such a dynamic era. And I appreciate you both for still keeping this uh, flame alive, for you, Bun, as an artist. And, I mean, Mun, personally, you're one of my favorite people to talk to about the history. Like, you've got so much in your head of, of this history. You're a real historian, and I appreciate you taking the time tonight to uh, talk about this with me and uh, with the people because I don't know who else is going to do it, to be honest. Yeah, no problem. I, I, wish, I wish there were more photographers in the early days of Houston hip-hop because we could have played Where's Waldo with mine. Mm. <laughs> Dude, I always say, 3-2, I tell this to everyone. Before I knew 3-2, I knew about the convicts, you know, and I, I, like I said, I had fully admit to being late. I wasn't day one by any means. But I knew about, you know, the convicts and early rap a lot stuff. And one thing I can say is every single, 100% of the places I ever went that was happening hip-hop-wise from 89 to 94, whatever, the, the, those days, whatever, 3-2 was there. He was hanging out. Oh, everybody knew Chris. 3-2 was at every Lil, event. Lil Chris. Every studio he I went was, to, every event, every ra- if I was at the radio station, he just was there. He was always 3-2, there. 
three t- before there was we talked about the children, the manager. Yep. The Royal Flush House in most City was off of Banner Street, right down the street from Little Ridge. Man. Riku used to be in tenth grade in ditch. I used to sleep by the sliding glass door in a recliner chair through two D knocking at the door at eight o'clock. Mm. Mama, let me in. Three. Mm. Three, you're supposed to be going to school, three. And this is what everybody's going to remember. He said to me, Man, fuck school, one. Later on, it became a song. Man. I, I don't know anybody, and everybody talks about their hustle and their grind and all of that shit. I don't know anybody who wanted to be a part of it, of hip hop culture, more than Pimp and 3 2. Mm. I don't know anybody who just wanted, they just wanted in. Right? A big part of me being in UGK and sticking through it because I had other things that I could have potentially done um, in my younger years. But I knew some way, somehow, that Pimp was going to make a rap record. Right? He was going to figure that shit out. And so my thing was, my whole plan was, I'm going to stick with this dude until he figures it out. Because he's going to eventually figure out how to put out a record. Right? And I want to be there when he does it. I want to be with him when he figures it out. Just to see how it's received. Right. And kind of see what it's like to actually have a record out on the street. And you can tell. And when I talk to people like Faith and Blaster and Aggravated and people like that, that's who 3-2 was. 3-2 was one of those people who was determined to be a part of hip hop. And there was nothing that was going to deter him from that. And he was willing to risk it all. 3-2 And I mean, three two was. I mean, there's there's a run for three two two, right? There, there's a there's a run for three two as well, where you could argue. And I think three two's run would probably be that ninety five through ninety seven, ninety eight, where it was really fucking hard to rap better than three two. Man, yes, it was. And let's be real, that chronic swing. Yeah, all of that, right? And, and, and that's not even hoes. That's three big two. baby. That's big baby. If we don't love them hoes, that's three two. And he was there, and in that's the light. And he that's was there light work the three two. Yeah, that's not even high octane three two. That's light work three two. Ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. That's light work three two. Hmm. I'm talking about when we start working our way to the Buddha baby and the governor and shit like that. And and we and we won't even get into freestyling. Man. Because I would I would ride around with this dude all day long. We would freestyle the entire time. I'm talking about he would come to Port Arthur to the house while we were riding dirty, which is why he's all over riding dirty. Right? And there was even a, a, a consideration for three two being the third member of UGK. And that's, we can have that conversation one day too, right? But I would remember, like, and I was a really good freestyler too, right? But it would just get to the point where, yo, I'm tired of fucking rapping. And I'm talking about 
an hour, hour and a half, two hours of nonstop freestyle. Right? And I would always be, I would always be tired of rapping before three. He's still going. Man. Well, the history is so strong and all praise due to DJ Screw and the Screwed Up Click and all the fans and all the people who love that sound and everything. But man, it does drive me crazy sometimes when I think about the breadth of and scope of Houston hip hop in general, because I think about how much I know personally. I know a lot and my a lot is probably I'm going to say I know 60 percent. You know what I mean? Like, I know a lot I've studied. I know a lot of people. But as we dig and dig deeper and talk to people like yourselves, people who were really, really there, I was there to an extent, but I was not really, really there like y'all were in these places. No, we were in the rooms. No, y'all no, were, we were in those rooms. Y'all were literally in those rooms. Mm-hmm. I was. I got to go to the shows, and, and I got to be in a few studios and here and there, but I wasn't there. I wasn't there in 88, in 89. You know, I was started going to shows in 89. But, man... The history is so incredible, and I appreciate y'all tonight giving us the time and giving us these stories. I mean, it's so important. The books, the YouTubes, the interviews. Mun, I I definitely want to make sure, and Bun, make sure this happens. I want to make sure uh, Mun gets a Donnie Houston podcast. I want to make sure Mun gets on there and talks with Donnie, for sure, and gets a real in-depth. Yeah, Mun. Mun needs his own episode, right? Because for sure. Mun's being very casual. He's You're being me. very casual. He's being too casual today. about 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 who he is <laughs> and his place and no. time. And I prepped. I prepped Donnie. All right, I prepped him a couple times already about Mun. I was like, you have to have him soon. And uh, Mun has to talk about Mun has to talk about the fight. And I'm sorry, we can do this now. Like these are conversations and shit that. We we would, and I'm not just talking about you, man. I'm talking about in general, like being in the club, being in the club. Because like, nowadays it's gun, gun, gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Back then, and man, man, very few people would know what me and man are talking about right now. We didn't really see gun until like really in C. Yeah, right. When? To like, when? NC. NC was NC. Um. The guy from the north side, he was Jay okay, Prince's okay, yeah, running yeah, mate yeah. at the time. And it really, and pretty much everything that wasn't really money, right? Because money's different, mm-hmm. right? There's gunplay and money. But just talking about people just having differences and not getting along, all of this shit would be solved with a fist fight. Yep. Right? And so, and there are a lot of like infamous fist fights. Like to the Houston streets scenes in these early days. Man. You know, I I I ain't gonna put you on blast, man. I, you know what I was gonna bring up. I ain't even gonna bring it up. Man, <laughs> save it, save it. So give that give that one to Donnie, man. Give that one to Donnie for real. Cause he, yeah, he, he deserves it. He's he's really putting it down right now for Houston culture and Houston history, man. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tell Donnie one and I'm gonna make Donnie make you tell about what happened that night. That's what I'm gonna do. Man, what I remember in the clubs oh, is the fight. Was, the fight would start in the club, and you'd run out to be like, "I got to get out of here," and then the parking lot would be so parked up, you couldn't get your car out of there. You couldn't do anything, and then the that shooting was the would thing. start. You couldn't even <laughs> the fighting would go out in the parking leave, lot. You couldn't, leave. you couldn't even leave because you couldn't even leave. Even if car you wanted out. to leave, you couldn't leave. 
the thing was those parking lines meant nothing and and you had to be i'm gonna just keep it real you had if you decided to go out to the club in houston from let's say 88 to about 95 96 right Mm. you had to not only be prepared to fight if you had the wrong interaction with somebody you had to be ready for spillover Mm. Because there would be times where fights would happen in your immediate proximity and you got 10, 12 dudes just brawling. And if you too close to a fight and somebody don't recognize you, catch the punch. (laughs) You you finna get them hands. So you had to be, you had to keep eyes open not only for a threat against you, but you had to be able to tell them, hey, hey, them, hey, them, hey, you don't see the niggas, the niggas finna back up, back up, the niggas finna go. They finna throw hands. It's about to go down. Back up. You know what I'm saying? You there would be moments where you could smell the tension in the air. Right? And you could see certain dudes <laughs> were too boisterous and moving and doing too much in the moment. Uh-huh. And they too close to so and so. Right? So and so don't play. So and so don't play. They too close with their goofy shit to so and so. It's going to happen. Watch what I tell you. Man. Watch what I tell you. Dude in the blue shirt about to get dropped. Watch what I tell you. This shit happened every night. Well, I learned. To I, the, I, no, I, I remember before Billy and the, when the boxing ring was in the club. Man. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Third war, Billy. I'm sorry. Third war, Billy. When people, we used to go, where it got to the point where you got hands. I seen you fight last week. I seen them fight a couple of weeks ago. I need to know which one of y'all can really can beat the other one up. We're going to put a ring in the middle of the club. <laughs> and we're going to let y'all box it out. And we're going to let y'all <laughs> box it out. Besides, <laughs> bitch. This is, is going to be the safest and, and option. That. This is going to be the safest option. We're going to put the ring in the club. Yeah. This, this yeah. eventually led this eventually led to Boxing matches and street strip clubs eventually. I, yeah. I remember, I remember it. I was not attending those, but I do remember when that was coming. These are for, these are forgotten errors now because nobody, people are not solid enough to take an L in public. Like no. society doesn't, society and social media doesn't even allow you to gracefully take an L. No, anymore. well, I'm not gonna like, lie. There has to be some form of retribution. I was a, uh, I was parking like Clark W. Griswold at Wally World at the club. I'd get there early and I'd be like right at the at the drive in, right at the 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 uh, the the driveway of the club. Like I'm gonna park right here, back in, so I can. You know, it's like who knows? You never knew what was gonna happen in in the club and in the parking lot. You never knew. And I had enough times where I was parked by the club in a nice in a nice spot. I had a great spot, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't leave. And it'd be like three thirty, four in the morning. You still couldn't leave because the police were there. Whole place is blocked off, and they're like, "You got to get out of here!" And you're like, "I can't." Man, there were times when we would go to the, um, well, I mean, it's been called so many names, Chocolate Town, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. all of these different names. Yeah, and the parking, I remember, right? We we would go to the club, and the parking lot would be more fired up than the club, man. Because back then, like these are the days where there wasn't like this whole idea of I'm going to the club and I'm going to valet park. Right. Mm -hmm. There was days where that wasn't even an option. 
Right. You know, options. So if you went to the club in your slab, right, in 93, 94, 92, you know what I'm saying? If you went to the club in your slab with your rims, you wouldn't even leave your car. Nope. Especially like Southside. Like Southside would go to the North Side. They wouldn't go in that club. Mm. They post up outside. Yeah, they weren't going in the club to Gucci leaving their slab out. No, they no. no, no, they weren't they leaving their slab out. Don't side wasn't coming to Boomerang and leave going in the club. No, that's what No, thing about Devin's uh, see what I can pull. All about being out in the parking lot. And I remember hey, we, him, could talk, we could we could talk about these days all yeah. day. I'm boomerang, you. boomerang was the raw, the raw one. And there was a lot of raw clubs, yeah. but I had I never really felt nervous or anything. I was always fine. I was always going to the shows, not really tripping. But I had some moments in Boomerang for sure. Oh, that's the biggest fight I ever been in. Biggest fight I ever been in in my life was in Boomerang. Boomerang was that raw. I was actually in. <laughs> earned, I was actually in. It earned the nickname Boomerang from no for boom, boom. Remember the, the radio commercials go boom, boom, boomerang. Uh huh. <laughs> earned that for a good reason. All right. Well, thanks, Ricky, Ricky Matt, Royal, Matt, for everything you inspired. And uh, <laughs> I just want to say something before we leave, well, yeah. because we talked about fights, and God bless Rick Royal and everything he did, because yeah. he's from this era, he right? Is. And Rick had hands too. Let's give him his credit Rick while we talked did. about fights. He did have hands. Fights were so prevalent at one point that one of Houston's greatest club promoters, Ray Barnett had to literally say in the commercial on the radio promoting the club if you swing tonight you go ride man going going east <laughs> <laughs> going east we go ahead and go downtown man if you swing tonight you go ride when the commercials were way throater than the jams on a on oh, commercial man. radio, those that was I mean I yeah, say back in yeah. the day I used to listen to those stations just to hear I mean Houston did have some pretty good oh, radio the, the, for the most part I used to listen just for the commercials to see what's because you wouldn't know what's going on Captain that weekend Jack till Thursday you didn't know till Thursday what the was Captain happening Jack that weekend commercials were 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 legendary yes you would turn on the radio right and all you waiting for tonight tonight. It's going to be, oh, Captain Jackson is popping tonight. Let's do this. <laughs> no, literally, if you were lucky, you were lucky Captain if you Jack. found out what was happening that weekend on Thursday. You'd be listening to the oh, radio no, like, real. what's going on? You'd hear about it and be like, oh, tomorrow night? All right. And they did. They did. And it was like, it was Captain Jack. It was Arby Cola, Steve Fournier, Lester Surface, Jazzy Red, uh, King T Ray was King T was down here before he was. Man. He was Terry T. So, T yeah, was on I mean, the Kid Jam. Exactly. So it's just. <laughs> I think actually King T, King T was on the show I was talking about with Redhead Kingpin and the College Boys with Sheila E. hosting at the Palladium. Like those were those were nights where people told me about uh, concerts and things they went to. I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty good, I guess. But. <laughs> and, and the legacy lives on because Man. Captain Jack talked Big Steve. And Big Steve taught Lil Keith. Exactly. Who who still Lil Keith would be one of probably one of Houston's top promoters right now. He learned from Big Steve, who learned from Captain Jack. So the tradition carries on. Yes, it does. 
And I am so thankful for you, Bun. I'm so thankful for you, Mun. So thankful for you, Gangster Rick, Ricky Royal, Cocoa Butter Man. Thank you guys, all of you, for everything you've given us and the music and the art and the culture that you've given us throughout the years. It's going to live forever. The music of Royal Flush will live forever. The music of Ricky Royal, Cocoa Butter, Ukfe Uye is going to live forever because we're going to find them tapes, I guarantee you. And listen, if anybody out there is listening who has that tape, hit me. But I know the people to call. I know the people to call on. We're going to find it. Yeah, it's got to be Ulta. Ulta, if anybody's got it, Ulta. I already hit him. I already, hit, I already hit Cypher, man, and he's looking. We're all looking for it. But uh, somebody's got that. And I've already thought, we, you know, me and Munn talked about a couple things earlier today about how there's a an other side of H-Town mixtape that might need to come out. From that, exactly what you guys have been talking about throughout this whole conversation. It, it, it's a forgotten era. It truly is a forgotten era. Man. Well, I love both y'all, man, for real. I thank you so much for the time you've given us, KPFT. Thanks you, and I thank KPFT for giving us this uh, platform for so many years. It's 18 years now of damage control, and uh, we're going to put this up on all the platforms and have this broadcasting out through H-Town and the world. And, man, uh, anytime y'all want to talk, you got something to talk about, I'm here. I appreciate you. And uh, do you have anything else you want to close with? R.I.P. Rick, man. man. R.I.P. Gangster Rick. Org for life. Man, real talk. You are tuned in to 90.1 KPFT, the damage control program, and we're just going to keep it moving with the real. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause right now. You are tuned in to 90.1 KPFT. Houston will be back with Bun B and Big Mun talking about the legend Rick Royal in just a moment. It's KPFT Houston.